Hey, my friends. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here. I'm a sex addict. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. And as you guessed, probably from listening to this so far, I am bringing you another episode from my car. Yay! My car is like one of my safe places, so it's good to record my thoughts here. So I am at the end, I'm at the last about hour and a half of a 13 hour trip back to my home from Seattle, Washington. So yesterday, July 15th was our intentional recovery event and we were, we met together a number of women met together in the Bellevue, Washington area, kind of just outside of Seattle. And we spent the day together, starting at 9, and we got done about 4, a little bit after 4, and just had a really, really great time. And uh, I traveled out for that so I could speak and so I could meet with all of you out there in Seattle and listen to our amazing speakers, and now I'm traveling home. And it was amazing. And I wanted to share with you today, um, on my episode today, my major takeaways from this event. Because I think it's really important. One of the things that I think is required to be intentional is that we don't just accumulate knowledge, but that we assimilate knowledge. That we don't just, you know, learn and learn and learn and learn, but that we take time to reflect on what we learn that we take time to apply what we've learned into our own lives and that we assimilate that knowledge into our being and into our way of living and that we not just learn it. Does that make sense? I hope I hope that makes sense. I think there's a definite difference there. I think early on in my recovery, I was accumulating knowledge. I shared this yesterday, but like early on in my recovery, my therapist, Aaron, he would assign me a book. He'd be like, I really think you would benefit from this book, The Betrayal Bond by Patrick Carnes, you might consider reading that. And I would buy the book on the way home from therapy and within a week I would have the whole thing devoured. And sure, it was impactful and I learned a lot. And then the next week I'd be like, okay, now what? And it was just kind of this, not assimilation, accumulation of knowledge. This and this and this and And I felt like I was making progress. I definitely believe I was making progress. However, at that pace, book after book, week after week, I wasn't really assimilating all of the knowledge. Not all of it, anyway. And so I am grateful for the opportunity to be intentional, to slow down, and to talk about kind of my big takeaways from yesterday and reflect on those and to think about how I'm going to assimilate that information into my life. So we started in the morning um, with Aaron Glade. Dr. Aaron Glade spoke first about trauma repetition. How do we repeat it? You know, how, how does that occur in our lives? Where does that occur? And how do we stop it? How do we work through our trauma and not repeat the trauma over and over again? One thing that he said um, has really kind of stuck with me today, and I've, I've heard this before, my own therapist says it, but I've heard it before in other areas, is he said that trauma can be defined as anything less than nurturing. 
So trauma is anything less than nurturing. And that's a really broad definition. And and that might, for some people, that might feel really uncomfortable. Um, and as I was thinking about that and reflecting about that, I, I understand where we get that definition. Sometimes in my life, I, I had some traumatic events in my life, definitely. Some um, what you would call like capital T traumas, meaning capital T trauma, meaning that it's a socially acknowledged trauma, um, socially, I was going to say socially acceptable trauma. And what, what I mean by that is that people acknowledge that the general public acknowledges that that was traumatic. I have, I have a few of those. I don't have a lot of capital T trauma in my life, but I have a lot of lowercase t trauma, lowercase t trauma, meaning that one incident by itself, you know, one incident of a parent yelling at their child, just one, or maybe a few occasionally spread out over a few years or something, would not would not necessarily be enough to harm a child. However, those neglectful behaviors or abusive behaviors repeated time after time after time, day after day after day, for a long period of time, add up. And though, you know, you say like, yeah, my parents were mean, they yelled at me as a child. And people are like, yeah, well, everybody does that. (laughs) Or there's not kind of that social acceptance, that social acknowledgement that that could have been traumatic. And so for a long time, not a long time, but early on in my recovery, I had a hard time believing that my childhood was traumatic or that my family was dysfunctional. And it was kind of this understanding that trauma is anything less than nurturing that helped me to start accepting that my childhood, that my past was bad enough, right? It, you know, it didn't need, I don't need to compare it. It was bad enough. It might not have been as bad as someone else's. There might not have been a lot of capital T trauma, but it was bad enough. It was bad enough that I, I felt, I feel trauma from that. And accepting that, accepting that it was bad enough, accepting that less than nurturing was traumatic was really helpful for me. The other thing I've been reflecting on is one of the exercises that Aaron ran our group through and kind of really quickly was an exercise called the trauma egg. And I did this a number of years ago. Um, I did a a really in-depth trauma egg. And part of the exercise is that you kind of draw a picture for some of the traumatic things that happened to you uh, throughout your life. And you start kind of from your earliest memories and you move forward um, to your current day. And I, I did this years and years, like probably three years ago, I think I did my trauma ache in 2013-ish. So about three, maybe four years ago, I did this trauma ache and it was, it was really difficult to draw all these pictures and to think through some of these things. And as I was watching some of the, you know, participants yesterday, some of the attendees, like, have these kind of moments where they're like, wow, this is a lot of trauma, or it's hard to draw these pictures. I was reflecting on 
my own egg and some of the events that I had drawn about. And I recognized in that moment that these traumatic events from my childhood or my adolescence, even my adulthood, did not have the same power or hold over me as they did three years ago when I did my trauma egg. Right? They, I was thinking about them and I thought, oh, I, I guess I could draw that. But I, I just didn't feel the internal traumatic response that I did when I originally did that. And it was this beautiful moment. It was this really grateful moment. I sat in the back of the room, cried a little bit, and thought, wow, like some of this trauma that that was had a really tight grip on my soul and on my heart has that that grip has lessened and I don't feel the trauma from those events again anymore. Now, not to say that I won't be triggered, not to say that I won't in the future, but just in that moment, I had this beautiful release of a lot of that trauma that had happened to me. And, and that's why we do a trauma ache, right? Because what stops repetition is recognizing the trauma and then working through that trauma, discussing it with someone and lessening that grip of that trauma in your heart and in your soul. And as you work through the trauma, that is what helps to allow that trauma repetition pattern to stop. And I was really grateful for that. I was really grateful. Erin did a fantastic job talking to the women about trauma repetition, defining trauma, and then also why we repeat trauma. And and then provided this amazing exercise, a trauma ache, about how we can start to work through a lot of that trauma and stop those repetitive patterns. So shout out to Aaron, super grateful for him speaking and spending time with us yesterday. And I'm grateful for my own acknowledgement of the trauma that I have, and I hope that that helps you today. Our second speaker was Heidi Kinsella, and she spoke about healing our relationships. The subtitle of her presentation was, How to Show Up Differently to Earn Back Trust. So how to heal our relationships. And what what I loved about this topic, first of all, is that we as sex addicts come into recovery with a lot of different relationships that have been damaged or that are struggling or that are suffering um, for not only our behavior, but also for the behavior of others. I have to remember... I. Aaron used to tell me all the time, like, addiction does not start in a vacuum, right? So addiction doesn't just all of a sudden bloom in a completely 100% healthy environment. And so what that means is that there are probably the behavior of other people in your life that have contributed to some of the programming that you have around your addiction. Not that they're responsible for your addiction, not that they caused your addiction, but they probably have, there's probably some relational issues that have contributed to the programming that you have. And, you know, even as an addict, I know so many women who identify as addicts themselves and also identify as the spouse of an addict or the partner of an addict, that they married an addict. That's not uncommon. We typically seek out people that 
that feel familiar to us, that we have a connection with. And a lot of times that connection is a negative alignment, right? My issues align with your issues and it feels almost kind of like fate, Fate brought us together, these two sick people, and together we're going to, we might, we might not recognize that we're sick, and together we're going to heal somehow, right? Heidi had amazing information about how to show up differently, about really how to heal our relationships, not only our primary relationship, like our partner, but also how do I show up differently in a friendship? How do I show up differently in a sponsor-sponsee relationship? How do I show up differently and authentically with my family? And everything that she said just really, really struck home with me. There was one particular thing she talked about. Heidi herself is a recovering alcoholic, recovered alcoholic, and um, has been sober for over 20 years. And one of the things that she said, um, just kind of, in, kind of in passing, but really kind of has stuck with me. She talked about, you know, with alcohol or with drug abuse um, and drug addiction, alcohol addiction, that I, I simply say no. I don't have to have a relationship with whiskey, right? That's what she said. She was, I don't have to go back and like try to have a relationship with whiskey and try to understand where the whiskey is coming from and try to explain my triggers and their triggers to each other back and forth. And she said, if I had to do that, I would be in serious trouble because I whiskey and I cannot have a relationship. But what's different about some of these process addictions like sex, like food, is that I still have to figure out, I can't just say no, I still have to figure out how to have a relationship with these people. I still have to figure out my sexuality. I still have to figure out what I can and cannot eat. I can't simply ignore or avoid it my whole life. And I, I loved that analogy and the funny way that she said it and, and those types of things because so many of us, I think, in sex addiction, that's what we do, right? We just say no. We just turn it off. We just say, okay, I'm just not going to be sexual. And for some of us, that can last for years. We can just turn off that switch and say, okay, I'm done. And we start to say to ourselves, you know, I'll just be alone the rest of my life and, and that's going to be okay. And we don't really, we become sex avoidant. We become food avoidant right? We become whatever the process is that we have, we just become avoidant. And that's just one extreme from, you're just bouncing from one extreme to the other. Addiction to avoidance. And I just love this idea. And I loved the analogy that she gave us and some of the information that she gave us and the tools that she gave us about how to show up differently and have a relationship. She gave us a script about how we can acknowledge when other people are triggered. And I loved what she said, just that we acknowledge the trigger, we acknowledge that we were part of the trigger, um, that we understand the trigger based on our past behavior, and that we ask the person what they need. What do they need in order to work through that trigger or to let this idea go? There was just, I don't know, it was just so much great information about relationships. And I am really, really grateful for Heidi showing up and being there. I can't believe she also had a wedding to attend that day. And so I'm just grateful for her willingness to share her expertise with us. 
I learned a lot and I'm really reflecting on my own avoidant behaviors because I think I do have some avoidant behaviors and also learning to cut myself some slack as I work through this relationship with food. Um, I'm working on my food addiction and, and kind of working through this relationship and I've been struggling a little bit with it and feeling a lot of embarrassment and shame and I'm just really grateful for that kind of reminder that I still have to have a relationship with food. Um, I have to, you know, move food from having like a codependent relationship into something that's a little bit more healthy. And I'm just really grateful for her expertise and for her willingness to be with us. Uh, our third speaker, our third guest speaker yesterday was Stacy Sprout. Uh, Stacy spoke beautifully about healing our sexuality and being intentional about our sexuality. So all three of these presentations were about healing a piece of our our lives and doing it in a, doing it in an in an intentional way, right? Being intentional about our healing. Because healing does not just happen. It only happens on purpose. Um, just going to 12-step meetings isn't enough. Again, you can accumulate knowledge, but if you don't assimilate the knowledge, if you don't make it part of you, it's not going to actually have any effect in your life. So you can go to 12-step meetings, but if you don't change your behavior, it won't matter. You can go to therapy. If you don't change your behavior, it won't matter. If you don't actually do something with that knowledge, it doesn't matter what you know. So Stacy talked about healing our sexuality. She talked about moving sex from profane to sober, and then from sober to sacred. And I, I love the definitions that she brought about profane and sacred, not necessarily in a religious context, but just in that reverence um, content, content, context. Wow, I'm struggling with some words today. Sorry about that. I love, I loved what she said. Uh, one of the questions that I wrote down, one of the notes that I took, she shared with us how she felt that she had been profaned, that sex had been profaned for her. Um, and that included everything from the knowledge that she did or did not get about sex. She talked about the leaky sexuality that was kind of going on in her family. Uh, these rumors, whispers, different things like that, but yet no direct talking about sex. Um, that she didn't actually get a any information from her parents about sex until she was 18. And then it was just like, sex is a sin and don't do it until you're married. But no actual information about it. And I thought that was a really interesting concept. How has sex been profaned in my life? And I, I am going to make a list and kind of go through that and make my own little inventory about how sex has been profaned for me. And then she talked about moving sex from that profane area, addiction, um, and secrecy into the sober area, right? Um, defining your own sobriety, your own sexual sobriety, what that looks like, what that needs to look like, how, how, it, how you decide what those boundaries need to be for you. And, and what they need to be, not only by yourself, but also in a dating relationship, um, also in a marriage relationship, what does, what are those boundaries? What is s sober sex? 
and putting those in place. She talked about things like, you know, no fantasy during sex, um, about another person, right? Making sure that they're, you're feeling present and emotional connection when you're doing, when you're having sex, just a variety of things. Deciding what, you know, when is the right time to have sex in a dating relationship, um, all those types of things. How do we heal that? How do we move sex, you know, moving sex from that profane and then defining what sober sex looks for us, looks like for us. And then also, moving forward, what, what would sacred sex look like? How do I move from just having sober sex to having sacred sex where your sexuality is a nurturing experience where it gives back to you? And she shared some really great ideas and thoughts about, about that. And I'm really grateful again for her expertise and her willingness to share so openly about her information, about the things that she has learned about her experiences and, and is, and she's continuing to develop this content and this idea about sober, sacred, sober sex, about how we can heal our sexuality. I was really grateful for her presentation. One of the I said one of the things that that really hit me was just how, you know, how was I profaned or how was sex profaned for me as a child and even as as an adult and and then really reexamining my um, boundaries or my bottom line behaviors, my inner circle behaviors around what is sober sex and what does that look like and and just kind of, I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity to reflect on that and to think about that and, and, and to apply that information into my life as I, <clears throat> I think it's a timely, it was timely for me. Um, and to really, you know, define some of that dating relationship issues for me. And so I'm, I'm grateful. I have some notes I'm going to examine. Stacy was also generous and shared her slide deck. And so I will link, there's a link in the show notes to her slide deck and you can, um, you can look at that slide deck there. I'm just really grateful for, we also had a, before I close, we also had a really great discussion about intentionality. You know, what, what does intent, what does it mean to be intentional? How can I be more intentional in my life? We kind of brainstormed as a group this idea of what what does it mean to be intentional? And there were some really great words and really great definitions um, that came up. It's good discussion around being persistent, around understanding my limitations, right? If I'm going to be intentional, I need to understand my limitations. Um, also about discernment. You know, if I'm going to really be intentional, I need to be discerning. I need to say no. Oh, one of the questions that Stacy had in her presentation was, you know, what no do I need to say today? This was a really great question to protect the yes that I want to say later on. What no do I need to say today in order to protect the yes that I want to say in the future? That was a really great thought for me. How, how can I say no today and protect the future? Yes. That I want to say. So we had this really great conversation about intentional, how to be intentional. And I'm really grateful for the women that attended. We had a, we had a really great group 
and I'm really grateful for their energy, their willingness to be vulnerable and to share, their willingness to share their um, their lives with us. We we got really personal in a lot of different things that we talked about, and I was really grateful for that. I was really grateful also for their willingness to dream a little bit with me. One of the things that we did, one of the things I asked them to do was to list three descriptors of what they want their life to be like in six months. And I was really touched by so many who are looking for job changes, um, who are looking for relationships and dating experiences, who are looking for peace in their lives. And I just was really inspired by some of the things that they shared, some of the things that they talked about, and it kind of helped me bring some clarity to some of the things that I want to accomplish also in the next six months as we talk about being more intentional and setting up an intentional plan to make that happen. So a big shout out to everyone that attended our intentional recovery event in Seattle yesterday. That would be July 15th. Shout out to our speakers, Aaron Glade, Heidi Kinsella, and Stacey Sprout for their amazing expertise and willingness to be with us and, and share with us. I'm grateful. I hope that something you know that hit me might also be of interest and benefit to you. As you go forward and think about how can I be more intentional about my healing, healing my trauma, healing my relationships, and also healing my sexuality. I hope that you remember that no matter where you're at today, no matter what's going on, no matter how far you think you've gone, that you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. And if you don't know that, you can just rely on my knowledge and my faith and my belief until you do know that. Stay, keep at it. Ladies, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult to stay in recovery. I know it's difficult to be intentional about your recovery. For me, being intentional means I have to slow down. My pace is much faster. I just want to accumulate, 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 and not necessarily spend the time to assimilate my, the knowledge that I receive and the information that I get in recovery. But it's that assimilation and that changing of behavior that makes things stick. So know that I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe that you are worth recovery. I believe that you can slow down and be intentional about your recovery. And remember that healing happens on purpose. Okay, ladies, I think about you. I pray for you and I love you. Until next time, Amy.